there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. This is The Gala Show. I'm your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery. On this episode, you may know my guest by his alias, Worm Miller, or perhaps as one of the hosts of the podcast Best Movies Never Made, the man who brought you Goal and the Insatiable, or maybe even that guy who hosts the LA-based horror screenings Friday Night Frights. But here on The Gala Show, I know him as one of the writers of my favorite movie of 2020 and my favorite movie of 2022, Josh Miller. Hey, Josh. Hello. And for those of you that don't get it, yes, Sonic and Sonic 2 are my favorite movies of those years. Just, <laughs> just so we make that clear, if I haven't made that clear enough already in my life. So before we bring up the topic for today, I have a question for you. You and I have chatted a little bit about the difficulties and nuances of adaptations. You clearly adapted the Sonic movies for the screen. And my father adapted Silent Hill for the screen, both video game adaptations. Also, we're joined by a <laughs> cat is currently attacking my feet. <laughs> We're joined by his cat, which I love. But uh, you adapted Sonic for the screen, and my dad adapted Silent Hill. So I'm dying to know, if you could adapt any original material for the screen, be it a video game franchise or a book series you love, because I know you're in a book club, or even an album, which one would you choose and why? It's funny, uh, it's something that my writing partner, Pat, and I talk about a lot, because obviously our agents and managers and people are always like, think of some books you want to adapt, but for whatever reason, we didn't really grow up wanting to adapt the things that we loved other than the easy answer for me is Clive Barker's The Thief of Always. Um, I don't know what it was about that book, but I've always wanted to do an adaptation and I still do, but I also know that it's kind of a rights nightmare because yeah. so many different people have been trying since the 90s to adapt <laughs> it. Uh, and as to why, because um, I think it's kind of, it, it's, as far as I know, it's Clive Barker's only like kids book, which mm-hmm. is funny because if you read it, it's probably most parents would think it's very inappropriate for children. <laughs> but uh, to me, it's kind of got that nice cross of 80s Amblin Entertainment, you know, kid going on an adventure, but it's Clive Barker, so it gets really dark and fucked up. <laughs> so it's like dark children's. Yes. Wow, that'd be really fun, actually. Okay, I kind of want that to happen now. Like, I'm kind of waiting. Well, I'm putting it out there. Yeah, you're putting so. it out there. If anyone can, like, figure out the rights to that, call us. Yeah. Uh, side question, what book is your book club covering? Um, yes, I'm currently wearing my I know, book club Losers shirt. Book Losers, club. Books, Losers Book Club. <laughs> um, we just read Adam Caesar's Clown in a Cornfield. 
that sounds also equally scary. That's like <laughs> two things I don't want to have happen, a clown and a cornfield and me inside of it. So. It's got a great cover. I've, I've, it's been on my list for a while, I oh. think, in part, just without even knowing what the plot was. Do you guys uh, get together like once a month or like? We do it once a month and we try to get the author if we can. And he's joining us on oh. Zoom today. Okay, that's so. awesome. Okay, great. So. And I liked the book. I oh, it's <laughs> the good thing that you didn't like the book. It's like, oh, I hated this book. It's a clown in a cornfield. Now, as always, my guest gets to bring their topic to the mic. Josh, why don't you tell us what your topic is and why you decided to choose it? Um, the topic is being a movie kid and kind of what and what I mean by that is I think anyone who's a movie super nerd has that moment, probably different ages for different people. But that moment where you start to realize that you like movies more than all your friends and family um, oh, yeah, I had that moment. <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of like what that means then for the rest of your life. And I think why when you asked me to be on the podcast, that was what jumped to mind is I just I was just back home in Minnesota for a 20th anniversary of, uh, I guess, technically be considered my first movie, Hey, Stop Stabbing Me. Which I got to see uh, at Be Kind Video. Yeah, that actually. was awesome. That was really, I loved it. Um, and I think just, you know, when you're home you start to think about childhood and stuff. <laughs> and we had like the cast was there and there's people I've known some of them since junior high. And it's kind of made me think back to all our old movie watching days. And now it's time for a commercial break. vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. And we're back. Okay, great. So you heard it here first, folks. We are going to be talking about what it's like to be a movie kid growing up. I have 30 minutes on the clock, and our time starts now. And go. <laughs> and go. So where did you grow up, for those that don't know? Um, I, I grew up in a couple different suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Probably the one that I lived the longest is called Bloomington, which is where the Mall of America is. Yeah. For And I always say anyone who's had a like layover in Minneapolis when flying to New York or Toronto or wherever... Um, You've probably been in my suburb then, because that's where the airport is. So how do you feel growing up in Minneapolis as a movie kid affected you? Because I'm sure it's different than my experience growing up here in L.A. as a movie kid. Um, well, Minneapolis itself is very cool. For people who don't know it, I always kind of compare it to Austin or Portland, oh, really? Oregon, okay. as far as really cool artsy towns in a state that you otherwise might not associate with that kind of vibe. Um, but I don't know if it still does. When I was growing up, Minneapolis had the largest number of theater, meaning like plays, not movie theater, but uh, the most like theater seats per capita of any city oh, in wow. the country. Um, so it's just a very artsy 
place. So I think if you grow up in Minneapolis, it's a little different. Um, growing up in the suburbs, um, you know, I always I think a lot of people, I consider myself lucky to grow up in the video store era as mm -hmm. a kid. And we had some cool video stores, but at the same time, um, you know, we didn't have, like out here, Cinephile or Vidiots or places or like video that. Archives. Or video archives. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we didn't have these kind of deep cut, heavily archived places. Uh, it was great to grow up prior to the domination of Blockbuster and Hollywood Video. So it was places that there was a person whose job was trying to pick interesting stuff. And, you know, I, I was very happy looking back to have cool horror sections in those places. But my greater point was it didn't feel like there was a lot of exposure to older movies or weirder movies. We didn't have any rep theaters. Okay. There were a few downtown that I discovered when I was going to the University of Minnesota. But even then... You know, now being, a, I also think we're living through a real rep theater boom oh, right yeah. now I mean, in LA. Sure. I mean, like, and not only the rep theaters, but also we have all of the, like, the micro cinemas popping up too, which yeah. is like Whammy and Be Kind Video. It's like, it's really weird because you can just go see anything at any it's given crazy. night. It's crazy. It's awesome. Uh, I mean, I, I still remember the first time I even discovered, like, a rep midnight screening at a place called Uptown in Minneapolis which is like a cool hipster neighborhood <laughs> in Minneapolis. Um, and I was just like, wow, they're showing gremlins at midnight. Like, this is crazy. Uh, but so... And now that's an average Tuesday in LA. Totally. If anything, you're just like, oh my God, they're showing gremlins again? <laughs> Show something else, you guys. Uh, but I mean, yeah, long way of answering that. It, it didn't feel like there was a lot of exposure. I didn't know it at the time. It's now just looking back. But the other weird thing was, is in the 90s, Minnesota briefly had a really good tax incentive. Oh. And Minnesota was not a typical place that movies were ever typically shot. And all of a sudden, they were shooting movies there, which seemed really cool. Like, that was when they did Mall Rats, Mighty Ducks. Did you, like, go visit the sets of those? Or? So, my specific suburb was a we my high school Jefferson in Bloomington basically became the evil school <laughs> in a hockey movie, a high school hockey movie that like the Mighty Ducks would have to play. We would have been the evil school that was the state champ like every year. So yeah. people hated us. Uh, so everyone in my town, this is when I was in junior high. Uh, not everyone. All, all the hockey players ended up being like stunt doubles or, you know, non-dialogue skating characters in that movie, which felt very exciting. The only one I went to visit, because usually they would shoot in like weird places. I don't even know where they shot Grumpy Old Men, but that was out uh, somewhere more in the country. Uh, but I went to visit Jingle All the Way when they shot oh, at the Mall of America. Yeah. And it's still one of my favorite, you know, because it was even though they shot a bunch of movies and it didn't feel like a bunch. It's only looking back that I was like, that was actually a lot of movies they shot yeah. in Minneapolis during that time. Um, but one of my favorite memories was going there and my friends and I got to see Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, wrestling with his stunt double, like between takes cause they were just buddies. So they were <laughs> horsing awesome. around and they were dressed exactly the same. Oh my gosh. So it's and like that Spider-Man meme where totally. it's like they're pointing at each other. And we were other. like three stories up. So it was kind of like, wait, which one is Arnold? <laughs> so funny cause I grew up, so I did grow up in LA, but I grew up mostly in Ojai, which I'm. It's like two hours north of LA. Yeah, my wife and I love Ohio. Yeah, so I grew up in Ohio. I went to like Ohio Valley School, and they filmed Easy A there. And I remember that summer I was wow, in. I didn't know that. They filmed Easy A there. The credit sequence is actually on my street, like where I lived. <laughs> um, but I remember when they filmed it. I was in 
uh, like theater camp. I guess I was like doing <laughs> Barnum that year. That's the kid I was. Uh, and everyone's like, let's go watch them film Easy A. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't need to do that. But I remember it's like, it was such a huge deal to have that movie being shot. Like Amanda Bynes was there and like Emma Stone. It was amazing. So I know what that feels like. Me, yeah. Definitely being a kid and also being like, a movie geek kid and having the movie come to town. Oh, totally. I mean, uh, the only movie I was ever an extra in is that now completely forgotten Josh Hartnett movie called Here on Earth that Lily Sobieski was in. And that shot in Minnesota. Are you and, able to find yourself in the background? Yeah, if you want. And it's actually very easy for people who want to randomly check it out because my writing partner and I are in like the first two minutes. So you don't even have to watch the whole movie. So when did you first get like interested in movies? Like, what was it that made you want to do it? It's funny because it was so long ago. I don't even really remember. I mean, the thing I do remember is I initially wanted to do like comic books and be an animator, and that started so early that I honestly can't tell you that, what I liked that's about exactly it. Exactly, like my dad actually yeah. like he originally wanted to do cartooning and animation, and then. He just found like it was easier to like exactly do, like, super like, eight stuff, and, then... and we my I think the big turning point uh, was my family got a camcorder when I was in third grade, and there was like a button. There was a time lapse button. It was called, but it was funny because the the number of frames it would shoot was so long that it barely looked animated. <laughs> but I would still do animation, and then at some point, I'm sure with your dad, same thing. You're like. Well, that took me like a week to do this five minute thing that's not even very good. I could just have my friends do this and we could knock it out in an hour. Yeah. And also it's like and then you start writing because like my dad always says he began writing because it was cheaper than having someone else write for him. <laughs> so he's like, I'm just going to start writing. And then you just keep doing it. But was there like a certain like movie or experience that was just like I'm in or was it that camcorder? As far as like wanting to make movies, that was definitely it. I always credit as far as the things that made me just obsessed with fiction storytelling. Um, Dirt Crystal was definitely one because I always liked the Muppets. Obviously, all kids and that's did. A scary, scary. Yeah. Well, Muppet. now you understand why. I like, <laughs> yeah, Thief why of you, always. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think there was something where that was one of the earliest movies I remember really thinking, even as a kid, because I knew they were all puppets. Mm-hmm. And it was weird to realize, because the Muppet movies all have humans in them. Yeah. And the Muppets look like puppets. Um, and I think I like the Muppets because my mom, who was a flight attendant, but one of her hobbies was she volunteered for a puppet theater in oh. Minneapolis. So we okay. always had weird puppets <laughs> lurking around our house. <laughs> kind of creepy. Uh, it was. <laughs> but I think it was the idea that I really thought about the fact that everything in this movie is fake. Because, you know, in the Muppet movie, they're talking to celebrities and, you know, Charles Durning and they're out in the real world because that's how the Muppets worked. And I mean, now looking back, I'm like, well, most of that was sets. But when you're a kid, yeah, when you're a kid, it's the real world. They're in a bar. They just went to a bar. They didn't build that (laughs) bar. But Dark Crystal, I was like, no, every single part of this movie is fake. Yeah, it's handmade. Uh, It's all handmade. Uh, It's all these insane puppets and just trying to be like, is there a person in that suit? You know, because as a kid, you'd hear how Jabba the Hutt had like four people inside and Return of the Jedi and stuff. So I think that was definitely a mental turning point in starting to really think about the fact that none of this was real and like what that meant. And Sam Raimi, I think, was a big director for me in the same way that his camera was so spastic that 
you know, or someone like Clint Eastwood or, you know, Altman is like, they don't want you to think about mm -hmm. the fact that there's a camera in the room. He's like, no, no, you can't ignore my camera because I'm running across the room and jamming it in people's faces and stuff. So I think that all the first stuff I directed was very much a Sam Raimi knockoff. And it sounds also like when we were talking about like, hey, stop stabbing me, that you kind of found other people that were really interested in these same things at a young age, like middle school and stuff like that. It's like you weren't alone, right? No, and yes, yeah, first kind of we teed it up of that moment when you realize that you're more into movies than your friends, which is oddly enough, that happened to me even moving out LA where oh, all yeah. of a sudden I met all the people across the country who moved out here because they were movie nerds. And then at some point I was like, oh my God, how am I even even bigger movie nerd than you guys? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, it was funny because none of them, my friends, obviously other than a guy who became my writing partner, uh, Pretty much none of my other friends wanted to pursue anything creative as a career, or even if they kind of did, for whatever reason, I don't want to say they chickened out, but you know, like they didn't well, go to film school. Well, it takes a lot of like, yeah. purser, like you have to keep going because you get said no a lot, mm -hmm. and it's really easy just to give up and just to say, okay, I'm going to go do something else then. I'm just going to love movies, because there's... People can also like love movies and not work in them. Yeah. Which is a really big thing that people need to understand. Like you don't have to work in them. You can also just like love them and champion them. And I mean to close out the, the question yeah. about my movie group, uh, but then I wanted I do want to say something about that. Uh yeah, it was just my friends. I think, you know, who doesn't want to make a movie is yeah. the simple thing. So the fact that I was doing it, it was a great outlet for all my friends, you know, other people get together to play basketball or you know yeah. <laughs> touch football or whatever or go bowling we would make these silly movies in junior high and high school and then yeah and then, college and then even now yes <laughs> <laughs> you're still doing your living the dream that's so great do you think that okay I always think about this because I grew up in like the beginning of the internet age and it's like you're maybe you don't have people around you that like like movies I was alone like, I was the only one out of my friends who even liked movies. My other friends don't. And even now I, now I have movie friends, but barely. Do you think the internet's made it easier for people to find their tribe? 100%. Oh, and that's what I was going to go back yeah. to when you were saying people who are super into movies and have no interest yeah. in making them. Uh, and, and that's what I really think of as, like, being, like, a movie nerd. Because I move out here, and obviously anyone who wants to make movies does so because they love movies. I'm not trying to say oh, yeah. these people are all phonies. <laughs> But there is different levels of nerddom. I mean, Tarantino being a classic example yes. of anytime he makes a movie with someone in all the press interviews, they're always like, Quentin knows every movie ever made. And, you know, uh, that, but that, you know, Scorsese, another one. But yeah, that even out in the industry, it's like, you know, you reset, we're all movie nerds. But then even in that microcosm, there there's still nerds. the super movie nerds. And some of the biggest movie nerds I've ever met, in fact, I'd say most of the biggest movie nerds I've ever met, don't work in the industry. They're just some yes. person with a normal job who's just obsessed with the movies and owns 500 Blu-rays that I'm yeah. sure their spouse wishes they didn't have up on the walls. I know a guy that um, he goes to like four screenings a day and he has this notebook and he writes down like what what screening it is, what theater it is, but then also like what seat he's sitting in. That's And then amazing. how he feels about it. And sometimes he can track like if I sit in this certain seat, I'm going to feel a certain way about the movie. Wow. And so he then picks like a favorite seat basically like the, for the best experience for him. So that's like 
the king of it. But Quentin, one of the reasons why Quentin is so like prolific at like remembering everything is because he writes it all down and because he didn't have the internet. And now it's like you can just get on your phone and jump on Letterboxd. Like it's mm-hmm. like, oh, who directed this? It's like you don't have to use your recall anymore, which I think is kind of a dangerous thing. I mean, I was a little bit bummed when uh, everyone got on the IMDb because in high school, uh, oh, my cat's clawing the stairs. Let's see, <laughs> knock it off. <laughs> uh, in high school, I would have friends call me to ask me, you know, because they were talking to their parents or another friend about a movie and there was no way to, for it's them to look it up. Phone a friend, like yeah. literally. And so they're like, wait, who made that? Or what's this guy? Or what was that movie? And they'd call me and ask me. And then I noticed over time with uh, the rise of the internet and that that stopped happening. No one calls me now because they don't need to. Oh, maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I'll start calling you instead of doing <laughs> instead what you Instead of, well, I've, thanks to like video archives, I've started writing down all my notes. Like when I see a movie, like if it's at home and I'm doing it for work, I'll typically like, I'll type them up and then I'll handwrite them afterwards. It's helped my recall so much. Oh, I, yeah, my wife has a notebook that she writes stuff yeah. down in while we're watching. Yeah, it honestly helps when I have like film students ask me like, what's like the one thing I can do to like do it? I'm like, <laughs> write it down. Like, read it. Don't just, like, use your phone all the time to, like, look up stuff. Mm-hmm. But so do you think that, like, the internet has made it easier for people to, like, find their tribe? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, which is, you know, I ultimately I think it's a good thing because I think all those people we were talking about who weren't going to move to L.A. or New York because they wanted to make movies and they're just living in middle America doing mm-hmm. whatever in, career like, thing. like, Kentucky or, yeah. like, I'm a uh, But they're just obsessed or... with movies and I know what it felt like to reach that point where I burnt out even my other like movie fan friends that I think that was kind of what caused the rise of Ain't It Cool and Dark Horizons and all those sites in the late 90s that then they really blew up because they started getting scoops on movies and the industry started paying attention. But before that, I think it was just all these movie nerds all across the globe finding each other and be like, holy shit, somebody else wants to talk about rolling thunder all night or whatever. It's funny. It's like, cause it is true. Like I like letterbox, like really helped me find a lot of my movie friends, even the LA ones. Like I didn't know them. And then they contacted me like the letterbox has no contact system, but they found me and they're like, Oh, like you have a, cause I have a very small film club. Uh, before COVID or during COVID and they're like oh you have a movie club like let me join and now I actually have Los Angeles movie friends thanks to the internet yeah you'd think that I would have them because of work no (laughs) I have them thanks to the internet but but that's exactly uh I sort of hinted at for me was moving out here and obviously compared to growing up in Bloomington Minnesota moving out here everyone I was meeting was a movie nerd yeah but then I remember there was a point where I was going to the new Bev and it would always happen that we'd you know, tell my friends something was playing, or they'd tell me, and we'd go see a movie. And then while there, I'd be looking at the calendar and say, like, oh, this is showing on Thursday. And then my friends would be like, well, but we just went here. And at some point, I was like, oh, I see. Oh, that's the kind of movie nerd you <laughs> so, are. <laughs> so then I started going by myself. And it's so funny what the new Bev is like now. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, for example, I had a friend just today. We were talking about Winter Kills before we started recording. And he's like, do you want to see Winter Kills? Tonight, and I'm like, I assume that's sold out. And he's like, why would it be sold out? There's, they showed it for three nights. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like you're not paying attention to the new Bev well, the, these days. Yeah, the first, the first night was definitely sold out. I'm not Tonight sure. Tonight is also sold Tonight's out. Tonight's also sold out. Okay, yeah, because... I, it's become well, very popular. That's what happened with Sorcerer, because they played that four-track mag audio Sorcerer print for like 
five nights and everyone's like, don't worry about it. It won't be sold out. They're playing it for five nights. It was sold out. I kept telling people, you should get a ticket. It's going to sell out. They're like, why would Wednesday sell out? I'm like, <laughs> every time I'm there now, it's either sold out or very full, which is funny because I was saying that I started going there by myself, which started to become a little discouraging because I, you know, there'd be like me and 10 other people who also all came by themselves. And I just kind of look around and thinking like, I don't know if... Is, is this the trajectory of my life? <laughs> so then I started going to uh, uh, a now defunct place uh, that got basically me tooed. It was called Cine Family. Did you oh, ever go there? Uh, I never went, but I, I know about it. Uh, and it was great at first. Uh, I'd, I'd say it, it rightfully got uh, canceled. Um, but at first it was awesome because I started going there and unlike the new Bev again at the time, now yeah. the new Bev is completely different. At the time, uh, when I would do a simple, there was all these other young people there and, you know, big groups of people and they were showing essentially the same kind of stuff because only so much a rep cinema <laughs> can, can really do to, to make itself <laughs> distinct. Uh, but so I was like, I'm just going to. And that was the birth of my Friday Night Fright show. Yeah. Was I was like, I just want to like hang out here uh, and start showing movies. Because that was another thing I missed from being back home where I lived with my parents because I was a child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that my house was the movie house because I was the movie guy. Yeah, our house And we had the, the best house. like basement for watching movies. Um and, you know, we had a ritual where every Tuesday our video stores would have like two for one Tuesdays. So in the summer we'd rent four horror movies and watch them all in one night in my basement. And, you know, and then I move out here and I'm living in a studio apartment that I can barely fit in. So I'm like, well, I'm not inviting over everybody I know. And also, you know, I moved out here. I didn't have as many friends initially. Yeah. I didn't. I think when I moved out here, my writing partner and I only had one person we knew who was also living out here. So kind of joining a, a movie theater gang was awesome because I was like, well, anytime I want to go see what they're showing, now I know the people who work there. Yeah. So they're going to be there because I didn't know any of the employees at the new Beverly. Yeah. For me, it's like the places I go now, I go to the Bev, obviously. Mm -hmm. I'm there, like, I yeah. feel like I'm there and I'm like, hey, do you guys want to see this? And my friends are like, <laughs> oh, we've already been here, Gala. Uh, and then the LF3. That's like my other yeah. screening place. And I like to sit not in the very back, but in like that back row in the middle because I can hear the projector if I sit in the right seat. It's really cool. I, I like that. I'm a little weird like that, though. But, but yeah, I don't know. It's just being a movie person, though, you definitely find like the different movie people and the different movie crowds. And it sounds like, though, also like you have like very specific genres that you were interested in, like as a kid, like horror. Well, that was the thing is obviously at some point early on, I realized, oh, I like movies more than the average person. So then I kind of, I think, you know, the way friendships always shake out is I, became closest to the friends who also loved watching movies. And I had friends who loved watching horror movies. Like I said, we'd rent four horror movies in one night. But then at some point, even with that, I'd realize those friends would sort of think, well, I'm kind of getting sick of watching horror movies. We should watch some, some other genres. And I'm like, no! I mean, I like all genres, but... Did you ever work at a video store? Oh, yes. What, which video store did you work I at? I worked at a called Video Update that was in Bloomington, Minnesota. Yeah, so like when you were there like what would you like push horror movies on other people like hey like you should watch this or kind of that video store and again I, that's what I was kind of trying to say is we had some fun mom and pop stores that was a chain but that like was a, a very chain. Okay. small chain yeah, like a local chain kind yeah of? it was definitely a little well it might have been like midwest local, midwest I, don't, local. I don't think it was just okay. minnesota um but 
you know, and sometimes people would act, ask for recommendations and some stores would have the employee picks. Uh, but for the most part, I feel like that that wasn't the culture. Like, I don't even know that the customers necessarily thought to ask or, you know, they'd ask the most rudimentary thing of just like, is this good or how long is this? And you'd be like, it says on the box, but it says approximately you know, yeah. 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it definitely didn't have that kind of, I, th- I associate more with bigger cities. With the bigger cities, yeah. So, okay, I'm just going to make the assumption that you were the weird kid because I was the weird kid. Um, and, like, when I talked to Eli, because he kind of talked about this too, like finding your tribe is, like, one of the most important things you can do. And it is easier with the internet now, but for there are, like, a lot of people struggling out there, I think, to make connections and to find the right people. Do you have advice for, like – young adults slash teens that are struggling to find their people? I mean, it's tough advice because the best advice is just putting yourself out there. But I get that for some people that's easier said than done or it makes them anxious. I do think the Internet's a great tool that uh, I certainly didn't have growing up. I guess I got lucky that even though I was a weird kid, I was – Funny because I don't even consider myself an extrovert, um, and I often really enjoy being by myself. Oh, I, I uh, do. I'm an introvert for sure. I know that sounds weird, but but I, but I was I I think because I always liked doing theater and making my movies, and you make a movie and you kind of want to show them to people. And my my friends and I had a cable access show in high school. So, so in that sense, I was always letting my freak flag fly. And I think that's the most important thing. Like people just need to continue to be themselves. And I have a cat on me. Right yeah. now. I'm literally <laughs> in heaven, you guys. I have a cat on me. Um, but I mean, in, like I said, when I when I started going to the silent movie theater, because I was basically just like, I want to be friends with these people because they're here every night, and these will be my movie watching friends in a sense. Um, and that's what's great about the internet is that's not an actual physical place you need to go to. That's, but but it's also I was just having a conversation on my podcast about this um, with a guy who started a now kind of forgotten website called Chud.com. Mm-hmm. But they were one of like along with Dark Horizons and Ain't It Cool were one of the original kind of big movie sites in the '90s, and they were popular because they had. a message board like a very active i miss forum boards so much yeah i grew up in like the forum board and that's what era. i was gonna say that doesn't really exist anymore no. oh my god reddit it's like the closest thing you get and it's not close at all no not not at all forum um, boards were just so much better than chat rooms at which are were even so much better than like discord because i st- we stream for my film club on discord uh, we use discord and then there's also another website we use called trast but um no i miss forum boards they were better and I know a lot of people, early adopters of Twitter, miss the kind of wild west, the halcyon days of Twitter, <laughs> where film Twitter started. But, but yeah, those message boards were great because they were very focused, and I'm sure they were ugly in their own oh, but, ways. But like they're so beautiful. They're, I'm so nostalgic for that ugly like Y2K forum. Oh, I don't mean visually. I meant ugly, like meeting oh. bad toxic people. Oh, but, well, I- but I think much less so than <laughs> uh, the current equivalents because I think those sites were kind of killed by the combo of social media for the easy discourse 
Um, and then podcasts, I think, kind of replaced where people used to go on Ain't It Cool to read in-depth film analysis. Now you listen to podcasts that do a similar thing. It's just a, it's a different era now. Yeah, I mean, I could totally agree with that. I think also, like, with the forum board, it was that it was kind of more anonymous and like social media kind of brought everyone's faces to the forefront. It's true. And it's just like how they always say like video killed the radio star. I think like it's like all those things just kind of kill each other and it's like when you were anonymous on a forum board, especially like a film board, you could kind of just like have your opinion and mm-hmm. no one like knew who you were. <laughs> so you could just say whatever you wanted and there was no repercussion and now Do you think that like the Discord for your podcast is sort of a place that well, thankfully, these people could thankful, meet. Thankfully, we don't have a Discord for the pot for uh, video archives. That I, my little film club, we were. Oh, I see. What you're oh, no, no, I misunderstood. No, yeah. no, no. Uh, oh God, I. Okay. In another lifetime, I administrated a, like a four thousand person Discord server for a YouTuber friend of mine. Um, that was like a full time job. I never want to do that again. To be <laughs> honest, it was miserable. But I do have like a very small film club. We were public for a while, and it is how I met my friends. They found my discord on my letterboxd and then i found out some of them lived in los angeles and so now we actually go see movies together at the bev which is really nice and we do have like meetups like one of them's from san diego someone's from denver we have members in india so it's really cool um when it was public yeah i guess people could have come together and found each other (laughs) it's private now i closed it i'm like we have like a perfect like member base of like 70 people they all somehow get along no one hates each other i want to keep it that way but there's definitely like discord for young people like you can go on there and find big large film clubs and there are people that just love like all different kinds of movies and people that share all kinds of movies i know someone that um, looks up like lost cinema and is able to find movies that have been lost and then he torrents them for people to, <laughs> for people to enjoy but yeah i mean you the internet helps but i think it's better in person well and we were talking about earlier now i mean it's all the pop-up i feel like every city now Anytime you go somewhere bar, you'll like look and you'll be like, oh, they have like a movie night. Yeah. Where they just put up a screen at the, even if it looks like a horrible venue, that's kind of, sometimes that's the charming way. Yeah. I think like if I had any advice for someone, if you're like under 18, just keep being yourself. Yeah. Like just be true to yourself. And then if you're over 18, start going to all these events and just start like, if, as, if you start going a lot, people will notice you mm-hmm. and then people will approach you if, even if you don't approach them. So that would be my advice. Especially, and I think a lot of these pop-ups, because uh, one of the reasons I, I switched over from the new Bev to the silent movie theater at the time, not just because hardly anyone was going to the new Bev, but even though people and this was a long, of, That was a long time ago, just to like preface for everyone when you yes, switched this over. Yeah, like 2009 <laughs> Yeah, that was something. like ye old days of the Bev. Very old days. <laughs> um, you know, and they have people will stand under the marquee and kind of gab, but you're also like out on the street where the mm-hmm. silent movie theater, I should hype them now, a new company's running them called Brain Dead, and they've oh, remodeled. Yeah. And the best thing about the venue is that they have a back patio with a little restaurant and now now they have a restaurant at brain dead um but you know it just it encourages people to hang out and talk to each other yeah like after the bev i have like two or three places that i go toy but toy's not open until 4 a.m anymore what no it closes at midnight which is like really upsetting so i used to go with my dad after the cinerama dome um, but like, yeah, there's like a few like restaurants, like the LF3, you can go to Fred 62's afterwards, mm-hmm. or you can go to like the House of Pies. Or but Ye Rustic. Ye Rustic, Ye Old. There's also like a karaoke bar down the street that we go to sometimes I after. It's like, it's like a Thai food karaoke place. Okay. But 
no, I, that, that is the one good thing about Brain Dead is it like encourages conversation after the movie mm-hmm. or before. Yeah. Sometimes I go there before. I'm excited that the Egyptian will be reopening and is I know that owned by Netflix now. It is That'll unfortunately, be but be uh, I mean, even though they got rid of the balcony, which I loved, but I get that they were trying to restore it to its original version. And I think they built the balcony in the nineties or something. Yeah. Uh, but that was my favorite spot to sit. But I, I, pretty sure that part of the remodel of that because netflix wants to be able to do their premieres there mm-hmm. so i think they want a little bit more of a communal lobby space and i'm curious what that'll be like that's really interesting they want a communal lobby space for their movies that have like yes. no space <laughs> just like the irony <laughs> the irony of it but yeah i think i mean we grew up fine so i yeah. think it's like there you go <laughs> and do you like living out here in L.A. better than Minneapolis? Like, do you ever miss? Oh, yeah. My original plan was always to go back. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. No, I, I love Minneapolis and Minnesota in general. Um, and the funny thing is the thing I thought I would miss the most was oh. the rep theaters. But as we were saying, now they're everywhere. Now they're everywhere. But now I've been in L.A. for too long. I feel I've, <laughs> now you're, I've now got you're my from roots. here. L.A. Yeah. L.A. has adopted you. Well, that is all the time that we have for today. Josh, is there any final thought that you want to share with the audience? Uh, find your tribe. Uh, Do get it. out there. Yeah, because it's like in, I didn't have a lot of older people to turn me on to movies, so I think that makes me very interested in trying to spread the love of the movies I like. Point being, it's a circle of life, and I think that's part of the way you can find a tribe, is just tell people about the cool stuff you find. If you could tell people to watch one movie, like right now, if there was a cool stuff that you found, what would you tell them? Uh, well, the, we've just, we're talking about Phantom of the Paradise oh, before, yeah. that's the first thing. <laughs> you better, if you haven't watched Phantom of the Paradise, what are you doing that's listening right now? It's a gateway drug movie. <laughs> that is right. So that is it for today. Thank you so much to my lovely Thank guest, Josh you. Miller. You can find Josh on Instagram at Josh underscore S underscore Miller and on Twitter or X as they now call it <laughs> at Josh Miller Light. That's Josh Miller L-I-T-E. Be sure to check out his podcast, Best Movies Never Made, and watch those Sonic movies if you haven't, because I tell every single person Woo! I know to do that. They are literally, they brought me so much joy during those years. So oh, thank you. I'm Gala Avery, and this has been The Gala Show. The Gala Show is brought to you by the Video Archives Podcast Network. This episode was executive produced by Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery and produced by Gala Avery. Music composed by Andy Milburn. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved. The Gala Show is brought to you by Insertomatic. This episode was executive produced by Roger Avery and produced by Gala Avery. Music composed by Andy Milburn. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. 
Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart.